week 15, qualified for the sin. Continuing in our study of Acts, Peter uh, last week was just set free from being guarded by 16 Roman guards. Uh, in that time, after he was set free, King Herod Agrippa had just died because people started to worship him and he accepted that worship instead of pushing the glory to God. This was actually one of the last times Peter's ministry would be mentioned in Acts. And tonight, going into Acts chapter 13, we're starting to see the ministry of the, one of the greatest apostles mentioned, one who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, the apostle Paul. So in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and I'm just going to read verse 1, then I'm going to talk a little bit. It says this, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man. Why y'all laughing? That's supposed to be funny. Lucius from Cyrene, Menian, the childhood companion of King Herod and Antipas, and Saul. Saul, who would later be known as Paul. The chapter sets the scene for some very interesting characters. Now remember, they just got a breakthrough that they were no longer distinguishing that only Jews were worthy of salvation. It was Greek or Jew or Gentile. There was no more us and them. The, the disciples, the people who were seeking God were beginning to understand this is no longer an us and them type thing. It's a, this gospel of Jesus is available to all. Uh, Jesus was available to all, no matter what, and all we have to do is accept him. And in this beginning of the chapter 13, we have five people listed, and I want to point out two of them, because we're about to see the, the ministry of Barnabas and Saul throughout this passage, but I want to point out two in the beginning of this, Simeon and Menian. Simeon was presumably a black African among the congregation. That's why he is referred to as the black man. Um, and some even believe he was the same Simeon that helped carry the cross of Jesus on the road up to the crucifixion. That's what some believe. Menian was a guy who grew up with the same Herod who actually beheaded John the Baptist. So you've got two people who are very unlikely to be in this place of ministry, a, a, a black man among Jews and Gentiles, and a guy who grew up with the person who was mentored by the person who beheaded John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the man who baptized Jesus. And I wanted to point that out because what, what, what I believe God is wanting us to see here is what people label you as and the influences you grow up under are not more powerful than the identity that God put on you before you ever came into this world. And what happens sometimes is we accept an identity that is put on us, just like Simeon. They could have just viewed him as the black man, the one who wasn't uh, fitting in. They could have viewed Menian as, oh, he's, he's, the, he's the King Herod guy. He's never going to fit in. He's with the one who beheaded John the Baptist. But they didn't do that. They didn't push him out. They, 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 they said their identity is not going to be based off of their influential surroundings as they grew up. Their identity is in Christ, and we have too many people that are limited by labels that God never put on us. But what people do is we embrace them because of circumstances that we got dealt with. These men were among the prophets and teachers that included what would become one of the greatest apostles, Paul. 
So I say that to say, do not let what you have been dealt with be the limit to where you go. Because what we do is we think, I've dealt with this, you don't know where I've came from, and because you don't know where I've been, you can't tell me where I can go. But God says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb, and what I'm talking to is what I knew, not what you've become. So I'm going to talk to what I knew so that I can pull pull you out of the reality that you have walked into because of earthly circumstances. Am I talking? Look at verses 2 and 3 of Acts chapter 13. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Barnabas and Saul were appointed and anointed with the laying on of hands so that they would be able to be sent to do a special work that God called them to. But look at what they're doing because we always pay attention to the verse where it says, oh, they were anointed to go do the work of God. But why were they anointed? What qualified them? You got to think, this has been 15 years since Saul had a road to Damascus experience where he was blinded by the light blinded by the light this has been 15 years and all of a sudden let's anoint them why they were worshiping and they were fasting and praying the title of this message is qualified for the sin before you can be worthy to be sent your first priority has to be a lifestyle of worship and fasting and prayer. Because God wants to work, God wants the work we do to flow out of a life that is in love with making the work about his glory and not our own. In the previous chapter we read, Herod dies because of one thing. He made the glory of God about himself and it says he was literally eaten from the inside out with worms. We have seen the church in America die because it is no longer about the worship of God. The church has become about the worship of a man and the worship of preachers and the worship of organizations. We spend more time giving glory to names of men than to our Father in heaven. If you look at most social media of churches, It's always quotes from the preacher, sign, blah, 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 blah. I have been guilty of this in my time as a preacher, in my time as a pastor. All we see is pastor this and pastor that and look what they're doing and look at the people they're leading. We give all of this worship and this praise to people and organizations and when Herod got the praise he was supposed to shift it up and because he didn't shift it up it says an angel of the Lord caused him to die and what we do in the church of America is we get this praise about how great the preacher is and the preacher fails to shift it up and what happens is the house begins to fall because it's become all about let me get the amens, let me get the praise, let me, let me get the, the, the affirmation because we have made this all about what can I get, what can I get out of this response. We spend more time giving glory to people than to him. And when people get glory, we fail to shift it. 
Is this okay? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why isn't the church effective? Let's get real. Because I'm tired of just building a church because it's an organization that people need because they have crappy lives that they want to come for an hour and a half service to feel better about their life. The church is not designed as a feel-better club. The church is supposed to be a place where you get equipped to go do the work of the Father because he bought you to give you the right to carry out his will and his plan that you were not worthy of prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Why have we become ineffective? Because we spend more time convincing people that we are doing the work of God than walking in works that were planned long ago which flow from a lifestyle of devotion. We spend church budget money on convincing people that this is God's will. But if I'm reading Acts correctly, they were, they were walking in God's will to such a degree, they didn't need to convince anybody. They gave a word and crowds followed. And we're spending all of this resource trying to get people to come. And it's like, why, why don't we just understand Instead of trying to create something, let's walk in a plan that was given long ago. Seek the plan of him instead of trying to tell him to get in line with our plan. We get in line with his plan. Saul is about to be sent out to his assignment. But again, it's been almost 15 years since his conversion on the road to Damascus when he was blinded. And when God was telling Ananias... To go, remember Ananias in Acts chapter 9? God said, Ananias, I want you to go meet Saul. And the, the guy who kills Christians, and Ananias was like, uh, God, you know who Saul is, right? He kills Christians. He doesn't like you. You know what God's response was? Back in Acts 9, 15, it says this, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. This is what God says. God says, The Saul I know, I knew him long before he walked into this false identity of a Christ. Christian killer he said I knew that man way before he became a murderer so I'm telling you I want him back and 15 years later after developing a lifestyle of worship fasting and prayer now Saul is ready to go and Christians we all want to go but we have not developed the lifestyle after salvation worthy to be sent We don't develop a lifestyle of, okay, now that I've realized I've been without God, let me give my life to him so that I can be ready to be sent when he sees me as worthy of representing him in the best way. And what, what have churches done? We don't develop a lifestyle ready to be sent, so we send ourselves by paying for mission trips. Y'all don't like me now. We, we make it happen ourselves because we serve in places that we're not passionate about because we don't know what we have a passion for anymore. We're qualified for the sin, the sin, S-E-N-D. We are qualified to be sent by Jesus for sure. But what qualifies you to actually go is he redeems you 
and then you build a lifestyle of worship and fasting. And when Saul did this for 15 years, the church took notice and said, let's anoint him and let's send him. But what we do is we get saved and we think everything's supposed to be good. We think everything's supposed to be lined up. We think, oh, I get saved and I should just choke straight in the ministry. Or on the other end, people get there and people are so scared of losing position that they hold people back, not realizing it was never about our position in the first place. The only position that matters is the headship of Jesus. And if we would just lift him up and get off of our pedestals and get off of our platforms and realize this is about him, we would become the most qualified people and when that happens like in Acts we won't have to spend tons of money trying to pay Facebook to advertise a graphic people would run to the church but it's not happening so look what happens in the next couple verses in Acts 13 I hope this is okay so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and they preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. They didn't know where they were supposed to end up going. Look what it, they, they, they were, they, they were, they sent up by the Holy Spirit. They went down to this place and that island and they went to this place and they preached in this synagogue and they ended up here. They didn't know where they were supposed to end up. They just went and they took any opportunity to do what? Give God glory. They preached and they took a man, John Mark, who, by the way, he grew up in Jerusalem. He was probably an eyewitness to all that, the, the life of Jesus and he was their assistant. They preached. They took an assistant, and they went wherever the Holy Spirit led them. And I think too many of, of us as Christians, we wait for the big calls while ignoring the seemingly insignificant ones. You know, we all want the platform. We all want to preach. We all want to get on stage. We, 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 we want to serve where thousands of people come. But when it comes to serving in the places that no one sees, it's too insignificant for us to give it to our time. Because what moves us as people of God is, has no longer been about the call of God. It's how can the most people see what I'm doing. And that motive does not qualify you. We spend too much time giving ourselves to things where people see. And I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles of all time, 15 years to be qualified to be sent. And we don't like it where a church says, we want to see you hold a door for six months because we're too good for that. That's what the church has become. It's become, how can this serve me and how can I get the biggest platform? And sometimes we're going to see in this passage the biggest doors that promote you into the biggest calls come from serving in the most insignificant places. Romans 12.1 says this, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Not because of all he's going to do, but because of all he's already done. 
And I find it funny how most salvation messages these days are about God's going to, and you're going to get a blessing, and God will. But this says, give your hearts because he's all he's already done. Everything he's ever going to do, it's already finished. It's will you walk in a relationship with him that is so devoted in worship, giving him glory in everything you do, in every conversation you have, in every TV show you watch, in every piece of music that you put in your ears, in every conversation you have with your friends, in every conversation you have with people who don't believe in God, in everything you do, do you give him glory? Be insignificant. Well, God don't care. Yet he sees. And you wonder why big doors ain't opening. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done. Let them be a living and holy. Not just a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Remember, Barnabas and Saul were worshiping and fasting, and they were saw fit to be anointed and sent for the work of ministry, and they had no idea what the work was. And Romans says the way to worship him is become a living and holy sacrifice, giving him glory in all we do. The fact of the matter is, you don't get to do what you want anymore when you become someone who proclaims God as yours. That is the true qualification for the sin. Give yourself to God. Because where he is taking you, you will already need a lifestyle of learning to depend on him, and lean so when the shaking comes, you won't be shaken. We used to sing a song in church, we will not be shaken, we will not be. You know, you want to know why we get shaken? Because we try to take on assignments that we're not ready for. We see the, 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 the glory of it and the possible trophy of it, and we say, let's go after that. And when the enemy comes at you, you get shaken because you have not developed a lifestyle of dependence through your worship and fasting and prayer. We fasted last week. How many of you actually fasted? How many of us are actually praying in the midst of COVID-19? How many of us are actually pressing in in the time where we've given the most time to press in? Are you leaning in? so that when the shaking comes, you won't be shaken. Psalm 62, 6, David says this, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. Is he your rock? Do you lean on him when times get tough? Do you lean on him when your identity gets challenged? Do you lean on him when it seems like everything's against you? Saul had to learn how to do it 15 years after everyone knew him as the guy who killed the people who believed in Jesus. Continuing on, Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 7. I'm going to read 6 again. It says, afterwards, this is Barnabas and Saul. They traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He attached himself to the governor. This is the false prophet. The false prophet attached himself to the governor, Sergius Pallas, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him. For he wanted to hear the word of God. Now let me remind you of where Paul and Barnabas are right now. 
They were traveling from city to city to port to port, not knowing where they were supposed to go. And they were preaching in Jewish synagogues. For those of you that might not know, the way the order of preaching happened back then is if you went to synagogue, if you could preach, you were allowed to have a chance to address. It was an open-ended invitation. So Paul and Barnabas would give sermons in Jewish synagogues and they were accepted or not. It wasn't exactly the most flattering places to be. It wasn't exactly, we waited 15 years for this. You ever had one of those moments where like you've been pressing into God and then the opportunity comes and you're like, I sacrificed all that for this. This is where Paul and Barnabas sat. They, they, they have sacrificed, they've sacrificed, they've been devoted, and then all of a sudden, all they're getting is town to town. We don't know. What are we doing? Here's some synagogues. We're getting rejected. And all of a sudden, because of the message they get hearing, all of a sudden, the governor invites them and says, hey, I want, I want to hear that word. All Barnabas and Saul were doing was being obedient and preaching the word of God, giving God glory wherever, they were, wherever there was an open door, and all of a sudden, the governor invited them to preach in the government courts. You talk about an unexpected door opening up. And the church tries so hard to open doors that can only be opened when we hear it, when people start to hear a sound they've never heard. Paul and Barnabas never went to the governor saying, I got a message. That's not what happened. The governor heard a sound coming from two men that had been devoted in worship and fasting for 15 years, and it was such a different sound that he said, get them in my house. The church tries so hard to open doors that can only be opened when the world starts to hear a sound that they never heard and they, they see a display of glory that they cannot wrap their minds around. What if doors would open when we start living in such a way that we would give God glory to the same degree if the only platform we ever had was the conversations you had with a friend when no one else was looking? Because we want the, think about it. The church wants the platform of, oh, we want a favor with the city. We want to walk into the mayor's office. We want to partner with the police department. But you don't have the integrity to talk about Jesus at the dinner table with your family, and you want a meeting with the mayor? They're not hearing a different sound out of you. They're hearing the same sound out of every household in, in, in the city. Why isn't the government calling on the church? Why aren't people calling on the church? Because we're not making a sound worth calling upon. Barnabas and Paul, Saul, they were making a sound that, that the governor hadn't heard before. They were preaching in the places that they would never think the governor would pay attention to. What do you say when no one's looking? It's called integrity. Do you talk to people the same way in church as you do on the street? Do you honor the God in somebody? Do you honor the fact, if you say you walk with God, do you honor the fact that when you talk to people a certain way, do you really believe that God's with you right there and you honor his presence in the room when two or more gather together? Do we really believe what we're saying and preaching? Verse 8 in Acts chapter 13, but Elymas, that was the sorcerer, and that's his name meaning in Greek, 
interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. And I want to pause here to say this. Whenever you walk through a door that is open because of your devoted lifestyle and the sound that people hear, don't be surprised when the opposition is waiting on the other side of it. Because God needs you there for a reason, to reclaim territory that the enemy has influence on. If God has brought you to a place to speak into something or to minister to something, it is to win something that the enemy has authority over. So why are you surprised when there's opposition? Because you're literally walking into enemy territory that God wants you to redeem for his. They walk into the governor's court, and the first thing that happens is the sorcerer badmouths Paul and Barnabas when all they're doing is talking about life and love. And the reason we get shaken is because we force our way into doors that we have not been found qualified for. Because the blood of Jesus redeems you, but your lifestyle of response to the blood is what qualifies you with what you do with the redemption. I am redeemed. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. Okay. What have you done to qualify you to be sent with that mantle? Does this make sense? So Saul, verse 9, also known as Paul, first time it was mentioned that he was Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Notice he didn't look away. He didn't start praying. He looked, the, he looked the enemy right in the eye. And then he said, you son of the devil. I like that. I'm going to start calling Walmart people, you son of the devil. <laughs> then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over this man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. <laughs> for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Saul, known as Paul, listened to the Holy Spirit, spoke God's word, and what happened to the sorcerer was actually the same thing that happened to Paul, a murder of Christians 15 years prior. He got blind. Because when you resist God, your fruit is blindness. And part of that resisting is not just being against God, but you're also blind when you don't live a lifestyle that qualified you for a sin because you're blinded to what God wants you to actually walk in. Look at the verse, verse 11. It said, instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around begging for someone to take his hand and lead. Because when you're blind, you'll let anyone lead you and you'll let anyone influence you. And what happens to too many believers is we have an experience where we believe in Jesus. And because we don't respond with a lifestyle 
because we don't respond with devotion that qualifies us for a sin. We're reaching out, hoping someone will lead us, and when anyone grabs the hand, we'll follow. And we get confused. We walk on wrong paths. We go astray. And pretty soon you never know what happened. Too many believers are being influenced and led by things God wants no part of. Verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 41, actually. It's going to be a long one. So Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Persia. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But when Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Hey, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. That's dangerous for Paul. So Paul stood, verse 16, lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this, now I want to point this out. You got a crowd of Jews and Gentiles. He says, the God, verse 17, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. And then with the powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put them up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. I love how Paul says this. God put up with them wandering around. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people begged for a king. God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and then replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Paul just dropped the gauntlet. He said, all you, are here, all you Jews, y'all here praying for the Messiah? Well, let me tell you. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember this? Y'all remember this? Well, Jesus, who y'all crucified that y'all don't think is alive, he's the one that y'all been waiting on. And then, let's see, uh, verse 24. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel need to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I'm not, but he's coming soon. I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. Paul's preaching. He's giving them truth. Verse 27. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. He's like, you guys are still reading about what already happened. 28. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyways. When they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross, placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Someone shout amen to that. 
And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone from him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I become your father, for God has promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. This is not, and this is Paul qualifying it. He says this in verse 36. This is not a reference to David. Because after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and he was buried. And his body decayed. And it's funny because the Jews thought this. And Paul's like, he dead. Jesus is alive. You can't find his body. Verse 37. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. Because they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if I told you about it. And look what they're doing. They've been told about it from the source, the mouth of God, and they were becoming what the prophet said. He's going to tell you, and you're not even believing it. You still believe in, you still require, uh, depending on the law of Moses, and you're still waiting on the Messiah that you killed. Paul just preached Jesus in a Jewish synagogue. He preached the word, said, this is real, you need to receive it, don't be like the ones the prophets spoke about. Now look what happens in these next three verses, starting in verse 42. This isn't a long message today. Maybe. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. And here's what I want to point out about that. It wasn't the size of the crowds that the Jews were jealous about. It was what the crowds consisted of. It's that the crowds had more than Jews because they wanted a Messiah for them. Not one for all men, for all women, for all people. They could not accept the teaching that opened the kind of floodgates that made salvation available to all where crowds of Jews and Gentiles came together. And many people reject the idea of Jesus and God even today because of the way he will change your relationship with people. The Jews did not want to worship a God that would make them equal with a Gentile. And there are some people when God says, in order for you 
to be qualified for a sin, you need to worship, you need to fast, and you need to pray. You know why people don't worship and fast and pray? Because one day we wake up and God says, that bitterness you're hold on, holding on to, to Susan, I need that gone because I need you in relationship. And the moment that happens, nope. And we don't want it. We throw it down. Now, I'm not saying that every relationship has to be restored. That is not the message I'm preaching. But what I am saying is that there are so often times God says, I'm bringing you into this uh, um, um, relationship, this crowd, um, this church. It's going to be with people that you don't like. It's going to be with, with past things that you need to release from yourself. And what we do is we say, you know, I like this whole Jesus thing, but I don't like the fact that I've got to forgive my mom or forgive my dad or forgive my brother or, or forgive my friend. I don't like the fact that i got to do that, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put a pause to all this seeking stuff and you're wondering why you're not being sent for anything and you're wondering why you're in a stalemate in your life because you forsook God because you didn't like the fact that you had to take a, a, a step to move forward and having communion with someone that you don't think is worthy of your crowd. And even some of us, God wants to do great things, but not at the expense of forgiveness which we ourselves are not worthy of, but he made us worthy. Why is it that as people we can't extend that same forgiveness to those who we can't stand? So they rejected him. And in verse 46 and 47, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we'll offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. You need to start preaching in your circles of influence before you ever get qualified to go to another even if it means you being rejected and looking like a fool. Because you are not preaching for you to get glory. You're doing it for him to get glory. And many of us stay silent because we don't want to sacrifice our glory for his. And we love the idea of going out and, and winning people and we love the idea of you know let's help the homeless which we do and, and we love the idea of you know let's go get this person and that person but when it comes to our own circles we throw in the towel well they know me Kyle they know that they know the real me well let them get to know the one that God knows influence your circles and if they reject you you get qualified to be sent to another one Think about Jesus. He was rejected from his hometown and then went. Well, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and they thanked the Lord for his message and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers so the Lord's message spread throughout the region. What if the spread is waiting on your qualified sin after being faithful to your people, your family, your friends, your coworkers? 
What if this city is waiting on you to influence or at least try to stand your ground as a believer in the circles that no one else sees? Verse 50, I'm getting to the end. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. The Lord's message spread, and then Paul and Barnabas got ran out of town. Be prepared, because where there is life and revival, there will be opposition and a revival of the ones you didn't know who were against you. Are you qualified to handle that when it comes? Or are you qualified to handle that where when it comes, all you see is God's face? When you see the very, when, when, you, when you see the opposition, are you qualified to handle it because you don't see the opposition, you see him? And when the opposition comes, the only thing you do is walk in humility. Paul and Barnabas, remember who Paul was? He was a dude that killed all the Christians. He had fight. He could take care of his own, but he didn't fight them. He walked away. And what happens is, because we don't become people who are qualified for the sin out of a lifestyle of worship and fasting and prayer because we are not worshiping, because we're not fasting, because we're not praying. When opposition comes, we either want to react in an unhealthy manner or we want to backslide into a previous lifestyle where if we had developed a lifestyle of worship and fasting and communing with the Father, when the opposition comes, you're not moved to any degree. And the last two verses of Acts chapter 13. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection, went to the town of Iconium, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know why they could walk away? Because they knew the problem was not them. It was the opposition. How secure are you in your identity? that you will take the opposition knowing that you ain't the problem when you're led there by a sin of God because of your lifestyle of worship, prayer, and fasting. They were qualified for the sin to this place because they were ready for it. Based out of all their identity being found in where they placed their worship and their glory. We have got to become a people that are qualified for the sin. We have got to become a people where when we open these doors back up after this whole COVID-19 thing's over and we get the worship center done and we, we can accommodate what, what we're doing, we have got to be that church who's not coming here to get saved every weekend. We've got to start getting, getting the picture that we're coming here because we're trying to develop a culture and lifestyle of, so that when God's ready to send us out, we're qualified. We're ready. You don't need to come to church every weekend to get saved. When, when the disciples were walking with Jesus, I don't ever recall the disciples needing a miracle because they weren't walking in a wilderness season or a desert season. They were walking with fruit. 
and believers, have, we, we, we've created this church culture where we come to church for a miracle. Well, you know what? I'm going to be bold enough to say this. I don't want a people at Relentless who are coming to get a miracle. I want people who want to come here to get equipped to go disperse them. That's what we need to be. You want to know how we get qualified for that? Lifestyle of worship and prayer and fasting. Amen.